everybody thinks of speech as just expressive language. But really, there are those pre-language skills that we need to work on in order for the child to even understand that they need to communicate, that there is something out there that they need to communicate about. And so we want them to be able to, number one, explore objects in a variety of ways. So when we have those little babies and they start to hold on to little rattles, so we want them to mouth it, we want them to shake and bang and realize that they can affect the world with an object. So it's not only about the vocalizations that we're going to expect from babies, and I'll discuss that, but how they explore objects is very important. Hi, and welcome to the Early Education Matters podcast with Kara Speech, where we upgrade our knowledge on early speech, language, and child development. My name is Kara Tambellini-Danielson, and I am a speech-language pathologist specializing in early intervention. I have four children's books on Amazon geared toward young talkers, and I also have a course for parents of young children who aren't yet talking called Helping Your Child Communicate. Visit me on Instagram at Speech. I am so excited to bring you interesting discussions with experts on early childhood topics covering ages zero to four, so we can better support our young clients and children. This episode is also offered as a pod course, so if you want to earn professional CEUs for this course, please read the show notes and check out slpconnect.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we will be talking about suspected childhood apraxia of speech in young children with Alana Bondar, who's a speech language pathologist who specializes in apraxia of speech. So the learning outcomes for today, as a result of this course, you will be able to identify pre-language skills, describe techniques to stimulate language skills in young children, describe characteristics of suspected childhood apraxia of speech, and describe treatment approaches for suspected childhood apraxia of speech. Before we get started, I have to give my disclosures. Um, I have the following relevant financial relationships to disclose, payments from Tassel Learning, royalties from my four children's books, and payment from my course, Helping Your Child Communicate. So... I would love to introduce Alana Bondar. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm very excited to be here. So can you tell us a little bit about you and um, how you got started being an SLP and your specialty? Sure. So my journey goes back um, over 30 years ago, actually, straight out of high school. I was hired to be a secretary in an early intervention program. And at that point, I wasn't even in college. And straight out of high school, just having a job filing reports. And I started to read the reports because I didn't have much to do. So I started reading all the therapy reports and I said, hey, you know, this, this sounds really interesting. I think I want to do this. So I went to school and it took me a while because I was married. I had two children. I mean, eventually. So over the course of 10 years, I became an SLP while working full-time at the early intervention agency. So I met a lot of therapists and originally I wanted to work in a rehab facility because I became very interested in rehab. Um, Christopher Reeve had just fallen off his horse and ended up in a rehab facility and it just interested me so much and that was going to be my passion. But of course, I had a lot of contacts with my early intervention agency and so there I landed um, and my CF, I did my CF with uh, home care and early intervention and I fell in love. I'm there over 20 years, um, considered private practice because I'm an independent contractor. But a few years ago, I started a private practice in my home and treating children with apraxia and speech disorders. And what happened was I was treating children in early intervention. And I realized that some of them were responding well to the traditional language-based therapy approaches and making lots of progress. They were your typical late talkers or developmental delay. So we were treating them with traditional language approaches and they were, they were doing great. But then there were those children that were not progressing and it bothered me. I, I couldn't figure out, you know, what, what to do, you know, what, what else I can do for these children to help them imitate words and develop sound repertoire. So I started digging because we didn't learn much about childhood of practice of speech. If any, <laughs> I know I didn't. Yeah. It, 
kind of full. And I hear that from a lot of therapists. We didn't learn anything. We heard then that there was this disorder called apraxia, but it wasn't offered as an elective. We didn't, you know, go into it in detail. So I started digging and I took some courses and I was reading all the books and listening in my car at that time. I remember taking a DVD, uh, not a DVD, a CD course. And I was in my car listening and taking notes as I was driving to my clients, trying to soak it for real, by the way, taking notes as I'm driving, because you know how it is when you're doing home care, you're every minute counts. Taking notes and I'm, and I'm trying the techniques and I'm developing my own tactile cueing and my own visual cues and trying to figure it all out. And it was helping. It was working. So I kept digging. And before you knew it, I went down the road of prompts and I became prompt certified. And I love it. It's really helped my clients. It's a consistent way of giving the tactile cues, but it's, you know, prompt is much more than that. It has a social emotional component and a linguistic component and in choosing your targets and looking at the jaw movement and how you choose your targets. And I use a combination of prompt and DTTC mm-hmm. and my own and all my own therapy, you know, technique. Yeah. Um, have helped my clients and the success that I started having with these children in the eye. So in early intervention, we'll discuss later on in the podcast, but these children, we can really consider them only suspected CAS and we'll go into why we that diagnosis and what we can do about it. But clearly they needed something other than language-based approach. Yeah, that's great. And I love how you mentioned prompt and DTTC because, um, yeah, those are great approaches and I love both of them and how they kind of go together. So let's start with uh, pre-language skills. Can you talk a little bit about pre-language skills and the importance of having them? So most people, parents included, you know, when we're coming into the homes and they want the child to speak. Everybody thinks of speech as just expressive language, but really there are those pre-language skills that we need to work on in order for the child to even understand that they need to communicate, that there is something out there that they need to communicate about. And so we want them to be able to number one, explore objects in a variety of ways. So when we have those little babies and they start to hold on to little rattles, so we want them mouth it we want them to shake and bang and realize that they can affect the world with an object so it's not only about the vocalizations that we're going to expect from babies and i'll discuss that but how they explore objects is very important we want them to imitate action so banging on a chair tray a lot of people will play the game where they bang on the tray and the mm-hmm. child bangs back and that's a really important skill that's a motor imitation and motor imitation comes before verbal imitation because verbal imitation is a fine motor skill and banging, waving, those are gross motor skills. So we want to work on, with children on imitating actions, lifting up their hands and saying, hooray, and picking up their hands up, just doing up and waving by. If we think about the sequence of understanding the word by and waving goodbye, first what's happening is we're waving, you know, dad is leaving for work and he's waving to the child, bye. And mommy says, daddy's going bye-bye. So the child starts to learn that this word body is associated with this movement, this waving, as well as daddy leaving out the door or mommy leaving out the door. So they start to associate the word by with a gesture and an action that someone's leaving, right? The same for hi, someone's coming and saying hi and they're waving. So first they're, and then what's coming next is they're learning to produce the gesture as well to make that gesture, you know, mom or dad waves by and they, the babysitter or the daddy is encouraging the child to wave along and say goodbye. And the child learns to wave by what comes next, the verbal imitation, you know, saying, bah, right. Bah, that word approximation. So the understanding of the actions in the word is coming before the child is going to actually verbally imitate and say the word. So we must work on that, you know, imitating actions before we have them imitate actual words and sounds. That progression, if we look at the next bullet point, functional use of objects. If a child doesn't know what a ball does, if this round thing, right, this round thing that's on the floor, it rolls, we can throw it, right, and moves. So now we have a ball. Now this round thing that rolls is called a ball. Mommy goes, where's the ball? And she's pointing to the ball. Oh, that thing that moves around. Oh, oh, it's a ball. So now it's a thing. It has a function. It has a need. 
now the child can actually label, imitate the name of that object and label it. Mom says, what's this? Or what do you want? And now they know this round thing that mommy plays back and forth where we bully with me or throws it to me is called a ball. Right? Turning pages yeah. of the book. What does this book do? You know, here we have this book. But do I chew on it? Do I bang with it? You know, what do I do with it? So, you know, books are a great way to start working on those free language skills. Turning pages in a book, knowing what we do in the book. And then the same for a car. You know, that back and forth. One thing I didn't put in there um, into the bullets is all of these can be, all of these toys, these objects can be used for on turn taking. Mm -hmm. Teaching the child, roll the ball back and forth to me. Push the car back and forth to me. Now, conversation is a turn taking act. What we're doing here today is I'm saying something, you're, you know, nodding to me that you understand and maybe interjecting with a comment. And that's a pre-language skill is knowing how to take turns. And then what comes next? We take turns and then mom holds back the ball and we encourage the child to say something to get this ball and, and so on. So functional use of objects is a very important pre-language skill. Uh, and it's so much fun to work on. I take out my ball, my books, my car is back and forth. Um, we teach children little pretend play with a doll, right? Mm -hmm. Touching the baby's hair, feeding it a bottle. You know, what do we do with a cup? Besides, you know, squish it or bang it, we drink from it. So in the beginning, they're just, what are they doing with objects? They're banging, they're shaking, they're mouthing. But then we want that object function. Start to put names onto those to label them. What advice would you give to parents to help facilitate some of these skills? If a child isn't yet um, using toys functionally, what would you suggest to them? Oh, actually, I'm working with a, a little girl now. She's 18 months old had some medical history where, so she's a little delayed in all of her skills, gross motor skills. She's not here crawling. Um, and we're working on that, those exact, these exact skills right now. It's a lot of modeling, the hand over hand imitation, hand over hand modeling. So I have my car and I'm pushing it back and forth and I'm taking the child's hand and going over their hand or having the child even come over my hand and I'm moving my hand back and forth. Some children don't like when you put your hand over theirs. It becomes this battle of, no, I didn't want to give you my hand right, or they just don't like the sensory input. So I find it helpful to even take the child's hand and just place it over mine while I move the car back and forth along the floor. And I make those noises, which we'll get into when we discuss how do we work on these sound effects. So we're going along the floor, right? So now this car that moves also makes noises. So we're going to do a lot of modeling. If I have my book with me, and by the way, who doesn't love a good Karen Katz flat book? For those of you who are not watching the video, just listening, Karen Katz has the best flat books. Um, this one actually wears baby's puppy, but she has a whole line of them. And they're great for working on lots of skills. But if I lift up the page and I put the child's hand underneath and I say, let's turn the page. What is the child going to do if their hand is right here? They're going to do that. They're going to flip the page because their hand is underneath the next page. Mm -hmm. And automatically you're going to say, turn the page, but their hand is going to do it. Not because they understand turn the page, but because that's a natural reaction that if their hand is underneath the next page, they're going to move their hand and get to the next page. And soon enough, the child learns, oh, when mommy says, turn the page, I take my hand and I move the page this way. Mm -hmm. The names push the car. Let's push the car to mommy. And you push and you take their hand and you push this. Now they start to learn that this action of moving the car across the room is push. Only way they know is by just modeling it over and over again and as you do the actions. Yeah, and how how these play skills can help support receptive language skills. Correct. And can you talk a bit more about that? Absolutely. So for us to be a communicator, we really have to understand. We have to have names and understand the names of everything around us. Receptive language comes first. When again, we're not going to call it a ball unless we know what what this ball is and what it does and that the name it, it's called ball right we're not going to just say ball because someone told us it's a ball it's the understanding of what it does builds this file cabinet in the child's brain so we want to build these file cabinets of names of items in their environment so now a ball this is an interesting um, concept to discuss as well a ball looks many different ways 
right? My ball doesn't look like yours. And, and typically in any home, there's several different sizes, colors. You know, maybe this one is a little bumpy, but smooth, it's round. They, they squeeze, they don't squeeze. So we want to teach children that there are many different types of that item. And then they file it away in their file cabinet. Oh, when I see anything round that kind of moves, maybe that's a ball. Yeah, I do think it's important. And I tell parents too, to kind of expose children to a lot of different items that all have the same, are in the same category, because that's how the child kind of starts making sense of it. If they just see one, the one ball in their house, it's going to take them a little bit more to learn it than if they're seeing balls out in the community or um, in a book or other Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, when children get a little bit older, we work you know, a lot of speech language pathologists discuss working on sorting and categorizing. This is that early sorting and categorizing, and it really holds language skills for children to understand that a car, cars look so many different ways. You're walking down the street with a child, look at the variety of cars that are parked out on the street, right? So if yeah. you don't know that a little, a little mini coupe is a car and that SUV is also a car, maybe it's, you, you describe it as an SUV, but that, you know, they're all cars and they all, what do they all do? In our car seat and we can go somewhere with this object called a car. And then the little cars and the little cars and matchbox sized cars to bigger cars that we can put, you know, Fisher Price little people in. So it's important to just give them that, that richness of that many different things can have the same name and it look a little different, but it's still that name and what, and it has the same use, back to those functional use of objects. But you asked me more about uh, receptive language skills. So we want to work on children really understanding what, you know, commands and what we're saying to them. So the intonation and stress of language, such as understanding no. If a child is crawling on the floor and they're going to touch the hot oven, we want them to understand when we say no, that they shouldn't touch it. Give no, we say it loud. It should, they should stop in their tracks and, and look at you. And start to understand that that means now map. We don't expect them to do it right away. Sometimes, or sometimes they, the best is when they understand what you're saying and they go back and touch it anyway. Mm-hmm. But we know they understand that. But the laugh, you know, just that harshness of your voice should get them to stop for one second. And then you're like, no, you know, don't touch it. So you're giving them the different pitch and, you know, the varied pitch and intonation. So they understand that you're trying to convey something different to them. So that's important for them. Or, you know, come here, you know, you tell them come and you're waving your hand. So we want them to understand the follow, you know, just some simple commands of come, um, conventional response to conventional gestures, give me. So if I take my hand, if the child is crawling along the floor or, you know, walking and they pick up something they shouldn't have. So we take our hand and we gesture, give me, we want them to understand to give you that item. Once they understand that it means give, then at some point they're also going to use that gesture when they want you to give them something. So if they don't understand it when you're asking them and using the gesture, how can we expect them to use it? So first we want to work on the understanding of gestural communication, the understanding of words. Uh, Pointing, you know, I might point and ask them to give me something. So I'm pointing to an object on the floor. You know, give mommy, you know, there's a, a diaper on the floor, pamper, and you want them to bring it to you. So you're pointing to the pamper. You want them to follow your point and you're saying, look. So that's also a command, you know, look, and you're, you know, having them look, you know, you're having them follow your point to the object. Look, there's a diaper. Can you, can you bring to mommy? Can you give me? And you're doing give me and you're showing them that you want them to bring it to you. And so they start to understand those basic commands in their environment. Waving, as we discussed before, that when I'm waving my hand and saying goodbye to somebody, then they'll start to use waving when they're leaving the house or when they're going bye-bye or waving to communicate to you that, hey, bye, have a great day. Yeah. So first they need to understand what it means before they're going to use it. And a lot of times when we come in, you know, starting to work with a child who's not using any sounds or words, parents, they're so desperate for children to communicate verbally. And we have to explain the importance of building the receptive language. Yeah. We can't expect children to speak about what they don't understand. And it's hard. It's really a hard process of, I just want him to say mama and I just want him to tell me that he wants his baba. But maybe he doesn't even understand that that's a baba. Mm-hmm. 
maybe he does. You know, we don't, we have to first make sure that he understands the names of objects, the names of actions, following commands. These are all receptive language skills that come before that verbal imitation and the use of verbal language. Understanding action words. So important, you know, give mommy a kiss, right? Give mommy a hug and then how do you work on that, right? So usually it's, I go take my body and move towards the child and say, oh, let's have a hug. And I move my body towards the child. This is hug, mm -hmm. right? So maybe you do it enough times, the child starts to come in and lean towards you. Now they know when I say hug and I start to bring my body, the child starts to bring their body. They understand this is hug. Right. Yeah. And then you can action over mommy's giving you a hug. You want a hug? And then pause a second and start moving your body and see if they'll move their body towards you. Mm -hmm. Do they understand the word hug? Yeah. Then those are great points. And that leads me into the next thing I wanted to ask you, which was, and I, you've talked about some of this, but some techniques to stimulate. Uh, early language skills. So some things that you tell parents and those kids that aren't yet talking, maybe they have suspected apraxia of speech. What kind of techniques um, are you talking to parents about? Okay. So what we want is that the child should attend to us. Um, here in the slide, it discusses eye contact. So as far as apraxia therapy is concerned, they don't have to have eye contact with just eyes on you. Okay, well, you hear if anybody's watched my videos on Instagram or seen apraxia therapy, it's about watching the mouth. It's about joint attention. The reason why I hold up toys near my face is to get that joint attention to have the child really responding to what I'm doing. Okay, we want them to understand that they need to communicate with somebody to get something. Okay, so if the child is, you know, there's something on the table. We want them to look at the tape, look at the object, look at you, look back at the object and say, hey, you know, that's what I want. We want them to reach out if they, if they're looking at the object and they want it better not to just hand the object to the child, but have them reach out and take it from, from you rather than you just hand it to them, have them participate in the action of requesting. Um, so again, tracking objects and shifting attention between two objects is communicative. Um, don't anticipate the child's needs all the time. We do that, parents, we, you know, we don't realize we're doing that. Um, I myself included, um, even with some of my clients, I'm, I hand them something and they say, oh shoot, you know, I gave them something for free. I'm not suggesting that all the time we're making children request everything throughout the day, especially if they're having difficulty. No, it's not what I'm suggesting, but sometimes it's good to hold back a little bit, have them, you know, pull you towards what they want so that they're asking for something. Choices is an excellent way to get children to start making requests because it takes the pressure off. If I have, if I know they want the ball and I'm holding the say ball, say ball, that's a lot of pressure. But what if I have a ball in a car? Yeah. Saying, well, oh, do you want the ball or do you want the car? So at least at minimal, we want the child to reach out for the ball. If they can say ball, great. I should point out that if you know the child can say it, and we're not discussing children with CAS, but just children, typically developing children with language delay, then we want them to say. Okay, if they, we know that they have that in their repertoire and they can say it easily, then let's get them to say the word. If not, then at least just withhold it just for that second. Say, oh, ball, you want ball? And then we hand it to them. Mm -hmm. Already pointed to it or reached out towards it. So they're communicating that they want the ball. And it's that second that we wait that shows them we want them to ask for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I do that a lot. And I tell parents, you know, just give them an opportunity, try to build in those opportunities for the child to make a request. And if they don't, that's okay. But we're just building in that time and those opportunities. I love those suggestions. Right. Yeah, exactly. I like that word opportunities. You know, we don't, sometimes it's just, we're just handing in. I get it. We're in a rush. You know, we're just handing out the breakfast. We're running out the door. I get all of that. But sometimes it's great to with my clients, you know, we'll hand them, we'll hand them like a chair, a little toy chair, but no person to put on it. So, you know, what are they supposed to do with this? You know, or a car that clearly holds little people in there. It's like, well, where's the little person? We're building in those opportunities for them to ask. You know, we give them, if you're giving the child a snack, so you might put a couple of little pieces on their tray and then, well, have them ask for more. Mm -hmm. If you turn over the whole bag of pretzels on their tray, 
you just lost a whole lot of opportunities mm -hmm. to ask you for more pretzels because they have 10 pretzels on injury. I always like, sometimes the parent will pour it on. I'll be like, I grab them back. I'm like, no, 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 no. They just gave them support pools. There was no opportunity now for them to ask. <laughs> so, you know, and then I'm like, I'm just like, I'm getting too excited. But, you know, we're blowing bubbles. We're about to be, we take out the wand. Let's just wait that second. Will the child ask us for bubbles? I'm building those opportunities. And then in terms of facilitating sound production. So, you know, song play is a great way to encourage children to fill in sound rewards in a song. The best way we could do it though is to go slowly. Um, I work, I see children in daycare centers and it always bothers me when I come in and the teacher is singing the song so quickly with no opportunity for the other, for the kids to, you know, copy along, follow along with emotion mm -hmm. and interject and, and say the, you know, fill in words to the song. And is actually a feature on uh, YouTube, I should mention to everybody where you can click playback speed and you oh. playback speed. So many of these songs, Coco Melon, all of them are so fast. You can't even keep up. Yeah. It's go marching. I love that song, right? Bum, 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 bum. But it's like this, the ants go marching one by one. Hurrah. Who could keep up? Yeah. Go marching one by one. Hurrah. Yeah. Hurrah. <laughs> There's nothing. Oh, that's great. That's great opportunity. Hurrah, hurrah. And then bum, bum, bum. Those nice, you know, sound effects that we can encourage. So if we just, if they're watching the videos, you know, just slow down that playback speed. Most people don't know about it. And it's a great little trick. You know what? That's a great idea. I learned about that a long time ago and I forgot about it. So I think. A great trick. I show it to yeah. all, the, all the daycare teachers. I show them that playback speed trick and they love it. Yeah. So, they don't show the children the videos, but they'll play it over the speaker and they'll, you know, during circle time and I'm like, oh gosh, it's going so fast. I, you know, I can't <laughs> slow it down, <laughs> slow, just slow everything down. Um, and then pause and encourage the child to fill in those sounds and words, you know, the wheels on the bus. All kids love these songs and most parents have a few of them in the repertoire. Itsy Bitsy Spider, right? Songs like that. Lots of motions. Remember, we're working on building motor imitation. So if we're doing itsy bitsy spider and our hands are going up, most kids could imitate unless they have, you know, a significant gross motor delay, or you can do hand over hand again and show them the hands moving up mm -hmm. and round and round, the wheels are going round and round on the bus. So it's a great way to start working on imitation. And then the next one, I can't stress enough, repetition of words during play. This is a, a technique that's essential for children with CAS, which we'll discuss, but certainly any child that's learning words. Sometimes parents, clinicians think that the more words they introduce the child to in that activity is helpful than fewer words more frequently. Mm -hmm. So we love the toys that have pieces. Everybody loves this one. If you don't have this toy, this spinning toy is great. But any toy that has a lot of pieces gives us a lot of opportunity to produce a single word, a single word. So it could mean go, right? This yeah. Moves and spins go is a great power word. Okay. Now, when we're discussing children with typical language delay, we don't necessarily have to worry about what sounds they already have in the repertoire because we're just trying to build up vocabulary. Go is a great word. Um, and we're going to say go as many words as we can. So we might pull out two words, two or three words per activity that we're going to work on. A set of blocks, just some basic blocks, a lot of blocks. I'm stacking them up. Up, up, mm -hmm. How many times can we stay up before we knock it down and either say down or boom or whoa, some exclamatory phrase. So how many blocks can, you know, I got a whole box of blocks. That's what yeah. I have, right? Can yeah. you give some more examples of, of some of those toys or games that where they have a lot of pieces so that the child does have a lot of opportunities? Absolutely. So first we have to think of toys that have a lot of pieces but also think about toys that just have actions that can be repeated a lot. Yeah. The ball, even though it's one ball, how many times can we make it go? Mm -hmm. Oh, who wants the ball? Me. If you have those power words, you can almost work them into any toy. Because, you know, who wants bubbles? I love asking, you know, who wants bubbles? Me. So it's not even about saying bubbles. It could be about saying bubbles. 
but you can also work in those power words. Me is a great power word. Go is a great power word, right? Um, more, you know, more is that power word that people think it's a power word. Or more doesn't really indicate more of what, you know. So we want to reserve more. That's kind of a whole other discussion, but yeah. There, if they already have the names of objects and then it might be more juice or more hung or more, right? But first we want them to say juice, hung, cookie, okay? So bubbles, lots of, our, everybody has bubbles. I want to go through some simple toys that everyone has because mm -hmm. it's fun to buy new toys, but at the same time, most parents can go to a 99 cent store and buy some bubbles. And you have lots of opportunity to work on up, to work on bubbles, to work on, whoa, to work on, you know, me, I want bubbles, right? And bubbles and pop. So, right, easy words to say. And again, ball, so many words we can work on with that. A car, car ramps are great for ready, set, go. Filler, carrier phrases like ready, set, go. You give that sports, ready, set, that poise is there, go, whoa. And then try, you know, you slow it down and see if the child will fill in the word go. How yeah. Can the car go down a ramp? I mean, most kids can do that over and over and over again so yeah we have either the toys that have pieces or i'm, I'm grabbing out some of my other toys here but we might have little container play toys a really old one but you know you get the idea and bowls go into a container and every time we put it in we might be saying in or we might be saying bowl and we're putting it in or it has a little cap where we can push 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 and then action a musical toy that has buttons push push mm -hmm. right your standard light up toy push sometimes we're thinking of toys in terms of nouns and not in terms of action words yeah it can be the great power words push pull go right mm -hmm. so don't only think of working on just the name of the toy itself or rather the actions that go along with it as well yeah so Okay, anything that is pieces, you know, and there's lots of toys and pieces on the market, let you know, little do glow, little blocks, um, container play, things going inside. Um, there's a nice musical spinning toy. I can go grab it from my closet that has little gears that go on it. You know, those gear toys where you put gears and then you can push the button and they spin around. So I like to work on the word piece. So piece is a great word. Work on piece or on. With yeah. On. Okay, a lot of, a mother asked me the other day why I was working on the word in. Yeah, this child has a praxia. There were some motor reasons why I was working on in. But you'd be surprised how many times they say in. Yeah. They ask you to help them put something in. Up and down are great power words. And, and parents will say, ah, real. I say, over the next 24 hours with your child, just take in how many times you say, do you want me to pick you up? Do you want to go up? Oh, it's up there. Yeah. Definitely. Word up is a vowel constant. And, you know, up. Yeah. We're to learn, right? And how many times a day do kids want you to pick them up or put them up on a chair or put them up on the couch? You want to go up. It can be an action that you want to develop with them as well. And so just think of it in terms of either toys that have a lot of pieces or toys that can produce an action many times over. Repetition. Yeah, I love that. And along with that is those conventional sounds and animal sounds and sound effects. Kids love animals. They're very vowel rich. Words that are vowel rich are very interesting to children. Okay, they have what we call markedness. So don't hesitate. Now, we don't expect a child needs to say the word cow. You're not seeing a cow. I mean, unless you live on a farm, it's possible. But I'm a city gal. We don't see cows, right? Child is interested in animal sounds, gets them interested in building that sound repertoire that can be used for other words that are more functional. So not every word has to be functional. But just trying to stimulate sound imitation, sound development. Great. I really find this to be so important. Teach, don't test. We ask kids too many questions. Mm -hmm. Too many questions. What is it? What is it? What's this? What's this? You see, I see a lot of like even just TikToks, random TikToks on Instagram, you know, parents asking kids a lot of questions. But why don't we just tell them? Why don't we have to keep asking them what it is? Well... Ball, look, it's a ball. You say, well, do you want the ball? I keep saying ball, ball. By the way, and also not to say, do you want this? This or this? Yeah. You know, sometimes children's first word is this. Yes. <laughs> they start the of the TH and they put a D. 
But how many parents will tell me that the child says this? Why are they saying this? Because someone is saying, do you want this or this? I catch myself doing it too, right? I can be that someone. But instead, let's say, do you want the ball or the car? Right? That's a great tip. Yeah. And instead of saying, what do you want? And not giving them the name. We know they're not capable yet of doing that. So why are we testing them to see, can they do it? Let's just teach. Do a lot of teaching. And they will come. I love that. Yes, that's, that's a great tip. Sometimes it's hard to tell parents that right away. But once people and become aware of how often they're asking their children questions during play yes, and monitoring that. Yeah. I also do find that parents, when you tell them that, I don't know if you found this to be true, but the pressure is taken off of them. If they say, oh, I just have to repeat it many times during play. I just have to try to teach them and that's okay. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. And usually up for the task. They just didn't know that. Definitely. So, all right. These are great. And now let's talk about what is childhood apraxia of speech and the difference between that and suspected childhood apraxia of speech. Can you talk a bit about that? So these, um, the definition you put on the slide here, difficulty with the planning and program of movements for speech. Okay. So it's not, the child may actually even be able to see the sounds, right? They have a T, they have an N, they have, I had a child with me this morning. She can say go. So she has the O and go, but she can't put the O together with an N to make no. Mm -hmm. So we're working on, you know, oh no. So it's the sequencing of that movement, the planning of the movements from the N to the O. You know, when dad was here and he's like, say no. And we're like, that's, that's not going to work. Let me show you how to do it. So I sat with dad and I showed him how to work on, and we can discuss that later, but Working on the movement, the therapy is focused on motor. It's a motor speech disorder. And so the discriminative characteristics are listed here, inconsistent errors. So sometimes when we ask a child to repeat, they repeat it differently. Um, if we ask them to repeat the word coat, they may say cope or cone. So different consonants in place of the, the target consonant or right differently. It, yeah, each time you ask them to repeat it, it might come out different. Um, they have difficulty transitioning between sounds and syllables, prosody, inappropriate prosody. So then speech is segmented. They sound robotic. Okay. Uh, let me go through them. I want to highlight, yeah, schwa, a schwa addition is when children insert the uh at the end of words. They'll say appa or um, they'll say dun, dunna or inna mm -hmm. on sound at the end. Sometimes that comes from well-meaning individuals who are trying to stress no no you know me included you know yeah I actually have a video up on instagram where i had to explain oops you know and put in a schwa we do it sometimes when we're trying to emphasize a sound and we don't realize that we're doing that many times it occurs when a sound is what we call a stop sound so a p a t a b they don't have movement so it's very difficult when we're trying to have a child imitate a, a stop sound up how do we just produce the sound in its purity mm -hmm. without adding that vowel afterwards. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. Nah. You know, you'll hear, nah. no, it's not enough. It's in and just try to softly extend the sound. P doesn't have much movement. So we try our best to just give that popping kind of P sound, but be careful with that. Um, and then uh, the one I really want to highlight here is vowel distortions. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I've ever had a child come to me that I suspect the diet, uh, a praxia that did not have vowel disorder. Yes. Yes. Every single child I work with. And most of the time, what they're doing is they're simplifying what we call a diphthong. Yes. A diphthong is two vowels and have two planes of movement. So for instance, an I and by. Mm -hmm. ah. I is the A and the E. So mm -hmm. two vowels put together is called the diphthong. Yes. Okay. Simplify it because it's easier for them, right? Because to say bye, we have to bring our jaw down, ah, uh, and come up and retract our lips for e. That's two planes of movement. That's very different mm -hmm. from what we're playing. So what they'll do is they'll say ba, and the jaw mm -hmm. and bring it back up to do the e. Mm -hmm. They simplify or ow, they'll say dan or down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they don't even put the final in, but some kids will say dan. 
or ah, at or out. Mm-hmm. Ow is ah, mm-hmm. We see that pretty consistently. Definitely. That, that's a highlight of uh, uh, childhood apraxia of speech. Um, suspected apraxia of speech, let's, we can go into that. Uh, let me just see if there's something else you put before that on the slide. Okay, so yeah, let's discuss suspected apraxia of speech. How, why do we say suspected versus giving a diagnosis and, and what do we do about that? So suspected, when we suspect the child has apraxia of speech, but we can't do a full evaluation, a full dynamic assessment. What that means is if a child comes to me and only has a few sounds in the repertoire, or perhaps not any sounds, how can we have them imitate sounds and words to really see these characteristics that we listed here, right? Mm-hmm. If the child doesn't have sounds, we're not going to see inconsistent errors. We're not going to see prosody errors. We're not going to see vowel errors because they don't have enough sounds to put them, to combine them into syllables. So we really can't participate in a dynamic assessment. Dynamic means that we're going to cue them. Child says a word, we ask them to say, uh, you know, pop. And they say pot. Mm-hmm. We want a final P. So we engage them with cueing techniques to watch our mouth, that the lips are coming together at the end, and pop, and see if they can imitate a more accurate production. But if they can't participate in sound imitation, how can we give them a diagnosis of apraxia? Yes. But many children come to me between the age of two and three, you know, closer to three usually, and We've been getting language therapy for you know, six months, eight months, a year, and not seeing much progress. So we're looking at a child with a very small phonetic inventory, very few sounds. And they've been receiving language therapy for a long time. And mom says, I read to this child every day, and I'm trying so hard to get the child to imitate words, and I have to reassure the mother she's doing everything right. So we want to try something different. So continue with the a language-based approach when it hasn't worked up until now, chances are is not the right path. And can you just talk a bit about what is a la- like language-based approach versus motor speech approach? Well, this approach would be a lot of what we discussed, you know, earlier in the presentation. Yes. Hence of just playing with the child, developing those place joint interaction and repeating words a lot, withholding the toy just that second, mm-hmm. but, you know, pausing providing those opportunities. But if a child has a motor speech delay, just providing those opportunities is, is not going to have them, help them imitate words. Yeah. So we provided the opportunities. We worked on teaching, not testing. We've over and over again said the word bubbles, blocks, ball, me, hi, bye. Every single time everybody leaves and go, comes and goes from the home, the parents are furiously waving and trying to get the child to imitate those words and nothing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what else are we going to do? Are we going to continue in the same trajectory and they'll be back in my office in six months? Or are we going to provide some cueing, multi-sensory cueing by the principles of motor learning, right? So it's a motor delay and actually work on the child being able to produce sounds and move from one sound to the next. Yeah. And then let me move on. And so because this is a great transition into the next part that we're going to talk about, which is how is suspected childhood apraxia of speech treated? Okay, so what's the information on this slide is, you know, a whole presentation. So I'll touch a little bit on it. Um, I actually just put out a course and it launched today. It launched, I've been working on it for a really long time. And I focus a lot about on, on this area in the course because this is really important how we choose our targets and how we work on those targets is the whole treatment of apraxia. That's how we do it. So we're not teaching it as a language-based approach. It's a motor speech disorder. So we need to use principles of motor learning. In this podcast, I can't go into all the principles of motor learning, but I'll just go into it briefly. Number one, um, let's discuss target selection. So we want to work on sounds that the child already has in their inventory. Okay. If the child has no sounds, you know, that's discussed a little more in the presentation. How can we facilitate sounds? But chances are when the child comes, they have something. It might only be two or three sounds. 
But we're going to take those sounds and try to build other syllables, meaningful syllables with those sounds. So instead of teaching new sounds, we want to practice the movement of the sounds that they already have in their repertoire. So you'll make a list of all the sounds they have and try to combine them into as many words, syllables as you can. Okay, so that's what we're going to do as far as target selection. We're not going to try to stimulate new sounds right away. Also want to work on sound words and sounds that are meaningful to that child. So we don't want to just pick up your typical flashcards and start working on random words. And what's meaningful to one child may not be meaningful to another child. So really consider what's meaningful and important for a power word for that particular child. And the number of targets, especially in the beginning, is small because they don't have many sounds. So we really can't choose that many targets. For this little girl this morning, I still have her note on my desk here. So right now I'm working on high and by, up, up, no, in. So we don't have that many sounds to work with. So what we have, we're trying to combine, you know, she has an in, she has an O. So we're going to go, no, in. Um, she has a P, up. She was producing up actually, but just up, up. So we worked on suppressing that schwa. And she was saying ba. So we worked on the diphthong bye. Mm -hmm. Okay, because ba, bye. Yeah, and and just from that list, I'm noticing they're all very simple, like either consonant vowel or vowel consonant. You're not gonna go to like a consonant vowel, consonant vowel word as one of your targets. Right. So initially unless they are anyway. Well, again, so so it's a good it's a good point that you bring up. Generally, we start with Vowel consonants, simple vowel consonants, and consonant vowel words like ma or me. Uh, if a child needs, I had a child come to me, it didn't have his name. He couldn't say his name. It was four. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? I'm teaching him to say his name. It was William. So, you know, not a simple word, but within a few sessions, we had it. I actually go into that particular case study in the course and how I went from what he had to bridging the gap to producing his name. But if it's a really important word for that child, try to work on it. Now, the reason why we also want to choose simple targets, we don't want to frustrate the child and we want to build their confidence in participating in therapy for childhood to practice speech. If we start out too strong and with the words being too difficult for them, then we lose them. Even in my session today, I hadn't seen her in a few weeks. She was away and took out my note from the previous session and I kind of went right into those target words and she was struggling with one of the words. And I said, you know what? It wasn't worth it for today. Mm -hmm. Let's focus on the other words, get her back into watching my face, working on saying the words together with me, right? Those simultaneous productions and just, you know, remembering what is this therapy that we're doing mm -hmm. allow me to go on her face with some tactile cues. And then we can build back up again to those more difficult words, but we really want to keep it simple. We want to build success early on because that helps the child want to participate more. Definitely. That's important. I see you wrote power words again, meaningful power words. I'm working on the movement of sounds and how are we working on the movement of sounds by giving the, ch giving the child cues. Okay. Um, Multisensory cues is again, another, it's, it's a whole lesson in my course, but essentially if we go back to discussing how do we work on language based there, what's language-based therapy versus therapy for practice of speech, we're not so concerned about cues when it comes to that typically language, you know, child with typical um, mm -hmm. hawker, right, late development. With those children, we're just repeating, repeating, giving them a lot of exposure opportunities. They don't necessarily need to watch us as we say the word. If anybody's watched myself or you know, Jenny Biorum, she get, has loads of videos with saying to the children, watch what I'm doing, say it with me, eyes on me. Your typical child will not need to do that. They'll need to hear it a lot. They need to understand, you know, what they're doing, but they don't necessarily need to watch you. Mm -hmm. And that's really key. If the child's not watching you, like this morning, I had the dad come in at the end of the session and the child was not watching him and he's trying to, you know, ask her to imitate the word and it's not going to work. So I had him take my chair. I got out. I said, you know, let it sit with it. Let it sit with her. I showed him how to make sure she's looking at his mouth. Mm -hmm. 
those visual cues, saying it together with you. And that I think definitely the simultaneous productions, I find so powerful in, in my speech practice, do, saying the word with the child, kind of giving them that dynamic cue, visual cue as you're going through the word um, just really helps. And I, I love one of your, I was um, watching your Instagram and one of your reels was just kind of talking about how many times you say, say it with me, say it with me. 500 times, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think this whole real thing just, it really cracks me up some days. I, I see a, an audio, someone does an audio, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that fits perfectly with that topic. And I make the reel, and I myself literally watch my own reels and just laugh. Because <laughs> yeah. it's just so funny to me. It's just so funny. There's this couple one that I, I think one of my first reels I put out, um, that song, Somebody's Watching Me. I always feel like somebody's watching me. Yeah. I always feel like somebody's watching, right? So it's, I'm always like, eyes on me, watch me. <laughs> so it's, if I actually took a clicker and counted how many times I say, eyes on me. Yes. I'm doing, it would be a lot. As, as that reel goes, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. That's another one for that. You know, it's a lot, a lot. Um, but that's, that's the key. As you said, you see it's so helpful to your clients. You know, um, if they're not watching you, they're not taking in that sensory information, watching the movement. Uh, and when it comes to multisensory cueing, it's about what, so we have visual cues and I go into lots of different types of visual cueing, but one of them is following, just watching what your mouth is doing. Then the auditory verbal cueing, you know, telling them what you want their mouth to do and then giving them the feedback of what they're doing, different kinds of feedback. Um, again, that's, you know, a whole course, <laughs> but just to get your feet wet a little bit about that and what we do. And, and then we have tactile cueing and that's where prompt comes in. Mm-hmm. All my cues are, are from what I learned in prompt. I'm prompt certified. I did the whole program. Um, and so I, I love it. I think so prompt when it comes to tactile cueing, also, especially, um, prompt cues, we take the child through the entire movement sequence of the word. We're not just giving tactile cues for one sound. Mm-hmm. If, if the word is go and the child is saying go. So we're not just going to QO. How is that going to help them? We're giving them the Q, the back sound G. Yeah. And then of course is if the levels of cueing, are we giving them, you know, just the surface cueing, are we giving them parameter support? Generally in the, initially when we start out with children, they need that jaw support to be able to access the lips. So we have to give them, just hold up the jaw. We know we're doing surface prompting and then, right? Take them through the movement with our cues. So we can't just, you know, when I, it's interesting. Many, many years ago, a well-meaning colleague, I think she copied the prompt cues or I don't even remember, vaguely, vaguely, it goes back like 15 years ago. And she's like, here, I took prompt and she photocopied the cues and I don't even know. And I was trying to look, but that's what I was doing back then because nobody told me you can't just cue one sound. You can use what's called chaining. Um, I have a, a post on that on Instagram backward and forward chaining where we pull out the error sound. We focus only on that error sound just for, you know, several repetitions, and then we plug it back into the word. So for this child this morning, when she's saying nah, what's the error sound? Many times the child will say nah, you say no, no, it's no. And the kid says nah. You say no, no, it's no. Right? It's like you could keep repeating that over and over again, but not really helping. So. What is the error sound? It's the O. Child is not rounding. Many times with children that are not rounding, it's because they do have issues with what we what a prompt is referred to as degrees of freedom. They can't let their jaw down that little bit to get that. Oh, so it's no. Mm-hmm. When I client sounds like no, no. Yeah. You've heard that vowel distortion, right? They say no. So they can't release that jaw just that little bit to come down and then come back up around the lips. It's a little bit of jaw movement involved there. And when the jaw is so fixed in a high fixed position, which we see a lot of times with children with apraxia, they don't have that, the movement that they need. So what I do with him and I, and I use with this child this morning is, and I show the dad, let's pull it out of the word. Let's practice O. And then I'm only giving that surface cue. You know, this is the way we do O. I might even just put my hands in the air, kind of just show them, oh, remember to do that. You know, O, O, repeat that a few times. Now let's put it back in. And I'll take them through the movement of go. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Growing is, is a great word, but it is a tough word because the G doesn't have movement. Remember, we discussed before it's a stop sound. Mm-hmm. Like we can't say go. Oh, oh gosh, I hear that. Um, I work on so so many times on the word not oh. Yeah. So, uh, it's either Noah because they put the schwa or not oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dropping before the O too much. Not oh. Because someone said to them, no, put that schwa in there. So be careful. Oh, that slow rate, stretching the sound, holding it through the vowel. Right? Now go, not so easy. Oh, yeah. Because it's a great word. And I, and I do find children come, they do have the G. It's usually, a, I won't say, not, usually is not the right word. But often, or if the child has it, I will work on that word. So the G, we try not to, don't say G. My child came to me, she was doing, ready, ready, said, go, 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 You know, again, I, I don't, there's not a lot of black and whites, you know, not a lot of, there's a lot of gray when it comes to therapy in general, and we have to use our clinical skills, but balancing sounds is a no, mm-hmm. because it's not what this disorder is about. It's about moving between them. So balancing the sound will not really help the child learn to move from one sound to the next. So try your best, you know, go right into the vowel, you know, go tactile cues. So, so the multisensory cues, we have visual, we have auditory, verbal, we have tactile cues. And if you're not prompt trained or certified or thinking about going along that route for, you know, it is a great journey to the, you know, it's a long journey to go from training to certification, but certainly if you can take the prompt training, you'll learn a lot um, about using tactile cues, but you can also develop your own around their lips. You know, so go on their face and round my lips for them. <laughs> right? We've all been there before. Before I was prompt certified or prompt trained, I had some form of tactile cueing. I would show them their lips, you know, I would come on their face, right? Yeah. I am prompt bridging certified or not certified, but trained. Trained. So I did the second course, but it really did help me kind of to view things in a different way. But so did the dynamic temporal tactile cueing. Yes, as well. So, yeah. ATTC has um, a free training. Yeah. The website handy. You can Google. I think it's a praxiatreatment.org. Yeah. I know it's in my handout, but I don't. If you Google DTTC training, free training, you can take a free training in DTTC. And that's dynamic tactile temporal cueing. So it's an approach that uses cueing where we're slowly going to decrease the timing so at first we're using a really slow rate and then not as slow. And so we're going to use temporal cueing. It's a fabulous program. Many therapists use it. I mean, they give a free training, so go ahead. <laughs> yeah. They give it your own home at your own time and, and just start using it. And Jenny Biorum, by the way, has a, a free download on her website with the DTTC hierarchy. We always say it's handy, but I don't need it that much anymore, but I used to have it really handy dandy. Yeah. And she gives you, well, you start with this. And if that doesn't work, then go to that. And if that doesn't work, back up and go here. Because cueing is not a one-size-fits-all approach, right? It's dynamic. So we have to give the child what they need, right? And then we want to try to fade the cues. And so it's like this kind of dance of giving them all the support they need and then fading them out and giving them less support so that the child will learn and generalize the words and sounds. Yeah. That goes into the principles of motor learning of, you know, motor performance versus motor learning. We want the child to practice in therapy, learn the sound sequence, that's performance. And then, well, we want them to be able to go out into the world and use it, not only in our therapy room. So DTTC is a great hierarchy for that. And go ahead and download that and print it out. Mine is laminated because why not? Because every good SLP loves to laminate things. I mean, seriously. And, and it's and just practicing. You know, a lot of people are afraid to get started. I know, you know, I get that a lot of my DMs, you know, I don't know where to start. And part of the reason why I put the course together was to show you that just start, you know, and you suspect one of your clients has CES and it's not, whatever you're doing is not working. Yes. You could be them to a therapist who's more experienced and that's fine. I'm not suggesting you don't do that, but start, you know, learn more, start using it. You know what, Alana, what I think is so helpful with your course and your videos is that you show treatment videos and you kind of walk people through how 
to do it and what you do. And I think that is so helpful uh, because a lot of these other courses, they have a lot of theory and demonstrations, but not the actual, this is what I did in my therapy session. This is an example. So I think that is so helpful. I wanted to mention, because I might as well put another plug in there, but go ahead. <laughs> I want to tell everybody, by the way, that Kara contacted me without knowledge that I was actually launching this course. Funny. She contacted me last week and I'm like, oh, well, this is good timing. It wasn't meant to be a shameless plug, but here I am. And one thing I, I offer in this course is that course members can participate in a live monthly Zoom to ask questions and have a conversation because it's so difficult. You know, we go on, we're on Instagram and we're watching my course, but well, you have a question. It's, it's hard to explain everything. It's a lot and it's a lot to take in at once. So you'll be able to come and ask those questions. You can always email me. And I, I love to help people really guide them and really understanding how it applies to their clients. Of course, I can't diagnose in a DM, but I try to guide you and help you. So, but the biggest, I think the, the best advice I can give you is really just start trying. We're afraid to jump in there. But I, I was there. I was at the beginning, right? Kara, we were all there. Yeah. I, I was at CF driving in my car with um, developmental stages next to me on the car seat. You know, what do kids do at what age? Because when the parent would ask me what their child is supposed to be doing, I didn't know. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. So just keep, keep learning. There's so much out there to learn. I have great references in my, um, in my course and I encourage everybody to read. Asha has great articles. You can just go on the Asha website and, you know, search Braxian, childhood Braxian speech, just read, read. I mean, my family jokes about me. They say I work six days a week and on the seventh day I read about work. <laughs> I'm a Sabbath observer, but there I am on the couch with all my articles printed out so I can read them. So, you know, when I'm brushing my teeth in the morning, there's a podcast on, there's some kind of YouTube video on. I watched the Edith Strand videos literally while I was getting ready in the morning. Yeah. That's how you do it. You work hard. You'll get there. Thank you. That is such great information. I think we just have one more slide, but we kind of covered it. We covered this. We covered it, but we, you know, say it again. Why not? You know, why is it important to use the correct treatment approach for suspected CAS? So, you know, I find that some therapists are hesitant to say suspected CAS. Mm -hmm. Well, why is the question. If you can give the reasons why you're saying, again, we're only saying suspect, right? We're not giving a definitive diagnosis. And I don't think anybody can come back to you and fault you for saying suspected if you give the reasons why you suspect. Right? Mm -hmm. You go into some of the uh, discriminative characteristics that we listed here. Um, Edith Strand has an article in the ASHA Leader, which you can Google on uh, YouTube. On, um, I'm sorry, you can go on the ASHA website and just search for um, Dr. Edith Strand. You can watch her on YouTube. She has great videos, but she has an article on with the discriminative characteristics of CAS. And if you see those in your client, you can say suspected due to this, 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 and then use a motivated approach. I don't, this, you can't lose. Yeah. Again, if the child comes to you and he's eight months into the traditional language, he's not making progress, you know, we got to do something else. Yeah. Right. Doing the same thing again and expecting a different result, not the answer. Right. Yeah. So I just think you have given such great information and, um, I think that you're a great resource for anyone. That's true. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. I mean, this has been really fun. Yeah. And can you tell everyone who's listening how to find you on Instagram? Sure. Um, at Bondar Speech, that's B-O-N-D-A-R Speech. And my website is like in construction. Hopefully in the next few days it will be up there, but that will be bondarspeech.com. I'm everywhere Bondar Speech. Bondarspeech at gmail.com. And you can find me there. Um, my Instagram, I'm always posting videos. I'm obsessed with taking videos. Uh, it's just a matter of when I get to edit them and put, put them up there, but you can binge watch those, ask me questions. I, if I don't get back to you, I didn't see it. Sometimes Instagram plays games with our DMs. So yeah, that's true. Just DM me again. Cause I really, I really do answer everybody's DMs. So, and I love to make contact with you guys. And this is the reason why I produce, you know, put out this course. I just want to teach people. I love it. I always wanted to be a teacher. I work with CF students and. 
you know, not so much anymore, but I did I'm paying it forward because I had a great CF supervisor and I just love to pay it forward. So. Well, thank you so much, Alana. It has been a pleasure having you on. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please leave a review and let your friends and colleagues know about the Early Education Matters podcast. You can connect with me on Instagram. You can find me at Kara Speech, C-A-R-A-S-P-E-E-C-H. From my link in my profile, you can find links to my children's books and a link to my course, Helping Your Child Communicate. This episode was a pod course episode. You can earn 0.1 ASHA CEUs for this episode. Download the full handout, watch the video playback, and ask questions in a private SLP community. Visit slpconnect.com and register for a yearly or monthly membership to get ASHA CEU submission and so much more. Use my code CARASPEECH, C-A-R-A-S-P-E-E-C-H, for about 20% off your membership. Thank you so much for listening.